Every entrepreneur has been there. Growing pains leads to growth gains. It's the challenges that cause us to level up. The Company Growth Podcast inspires you to keep going through the pain. I'm your host, Alicia Dominico. I need to be honest with what my weaknesses are as the leader, but I also am honest with my staff. They they don't go ever go into a review cycle or um, a performance discussion wondering what I'm thinking. Welcome to the Company Growth Podcast. On this episode, Alicia interviews Jeremy Bout, the founder and president of EdgeFactor, a company that helps communities with workforce development through film and storytelling. Check it out. You, as an entrepreneur, you come up with this idea and you, you know, kind of give birth to it and people are like, where did the idea come from? And it's generally the response is, well, I saw this need, right? And that's the right answer. Um, but then, of course, nobody really tells you about all of the pain that comes after that because <laughs> you start this thing and you start, you know, trying to fulfill the mandate. And in my case, it was to be laser focused on helping parents and students find opportunity in industry for careers. So career driven uh, but from a very different perspective, story. So I'm, 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 I'm a manufacturer turned filmmaker. So I absolutely love the art of storytelling. Um, and we do this in, in lots of different ways. But documentary, really, I love real people, real stories. It's yes, we'll do some, you know, original content. But really, I want to tell the stories of people who have been out there. And then I want to use that story as a means for someone to say, wow, that's cool. I didn't know that I could find a career in that. And so that was where we started. But then as time has unfolded now, looking back in the, over the last 10 years, and we've made many, many films, but you know, initially when we started, we were thinking more television distribution. We were thinking more film distribution, even YouTube as a, a platform distribution. But we realized early on, if we're going to actually measure the impact we're having. And if we're going to take somebody on a journey, because we started to realize one video wasn't enough, it had to be a relationship between the industry and that student or that parent or that job seeker. We started to realize, whoa, it's not just about industry and the job seeker, it's about the people that influence them. So the parent, the teacher, the guardian. And so this world of, of thinking for us got bigger and bigger, and yet our objective stayed the same. It was ultimately to connect the student to this amazing career opportunity that hopefully they realized was happening right in their own backyard. And so for me, this, this journey for objectives and key results, I didn't realize it. Yes, I had an objective, but you know, it was, it was becoming harder and harder to understand how to meet our objective when there were so many options. You know, yes, you could become a filmmaker and, and go down the, the road of independent film festivals. You could do this thing on YouTube, but who are we? Who are we? And your objective helps to rule things out. And in the middle of all this, uh, we found ourselves going, no, we, we actually, we want to do it ourselves. We want to be able to build a platform kind of like other things out there. And so suddenly this manufacturer turned filmmaker, turned storyteller, turned software developer, like what the heck, right? Like there's this whole new world of, I got to learn. 
And thankfully, I had some really great people in my life that, you know, I can't really take the credit for that because by this point, I've got a team around me. Um, and yet I'm trying to lead this team. And so we developed a platform and the platform, we're now on version seven, turning into version eight of our platform. And we've been on this iterative journey. And in the middle of it all, we turned enough heads where we had opportunity coming at us from every side. Shiny objects glittering in front of you. And therein lies the problem. Which objects do you pick up? Which ones do you leave there? And how do you make sure that your entire team, because now you start to think about what's happened in my world. I've got this group of filmmaker editors. We're, we're now getting into virtual reality. We've got your sales teams who are helping to sell platforms. You're you know, I'm on stage speaking, so now I'm a, an event coordinator. We do events with Edge Factor. And, and suddenly you start to look around you and you go, my goodness, how are we going to unite every single person on the team to understand that our mission's still the same as when we started? Our mission at the beginning was actually to help students and job seekers understand that there are amazing career choices within their own community. And that is what we're all doing, and yet we're doing it in all very different ways. And so objectives and key results is a way that I, I read this book, and I'm just like, that is awesome. Because we've already been doing that a little bit, but it's actually going to give me structure. And so the first time I read the book, I'm just like, oh my goodness, my team has to read this book. And so I got my executive team to read it. And we started writing things and we started laying it out. And I even made a company-wide announcement about this objectives and key results. We were going to do something with this. And, and it was really exciting. And then COVID hit. And so many things that I had been doing, suddenly I couldn't do. So many things that I needed to do, I had to start doing. And... Ironically, we got six months into COVID and we looked back and we said, guys, isn't this so cool? We just did a whole pile of things that we didn't know we would ever do. And yet they're perfectly aligned to our objectives and our key results. And so I think that's what is so exciting to me about the idea of unifying everybody's vision within the company is if you have the same objective, but it trickles down and it scales down to each team and every team goes, okay, that's the company objective. Now what's our team objective? And what are the key results that we're going to measure the steps that we're going to take over the next quarter, the next six months, the next year to meet our objective. But we don't have to worry about that objective being siloed because that objective was already cascading down from the company's objective. And so you could have, uh, in my case, 15 different teams of people who are thinking about all different things, and yet all of them are moving towards the same centralized idea. Part of what defines Edge Factor and allows the company to be so flexible and engaging is the way the company approaches hiring. So I asked Jeremy to share his strategy for creating an optimal team. That is a hard question for me because I've often really second-guessed my ability to do this well, to be honest. That's a hard one because, I mean, there's certainly the people who you get recommended to your organization, um, and they come in and they're kind of this, you don't know who they are, and then you start to, to learn more about them and, and you try to help them become the best that they can be. I think the thing for me that 
I would say has been a success, but uh, you know, I feel like a baby in this regard. Honestly, I feel there's so many better people you could ask this question to. I'm simply reflecting what I've learned, not what, and I'm not telling you this is right or wrong. Okay. But, but the thing that I have learned is that people really want to believe that they themselves are contributing uh, to something bigger and that they are playing to their strengths. I think too often we try to work on people's weaknesses to make them stronger in those areas. And one of the things that I, I don't want to do is tell people what they're interviewing for. So they often will have a long session with my HR person, they'll have a meeting with me, and they won't even necessarily know what I'm interviewing them for, which might sound kind of weird, but I don't even tell them that because I, I what I've found is that I, in fact, I would almost say this is happening more often than not. I think I'm interviewing them for this position, but because I'm so impressed with them, I might go, you know, I don't see you fitting that, but I, I do see your strengths playing well to this area of need that I've got. And and then either I hire them into that spot or we hire them into the spot that we were interviewing them for, but then we shuffle them over to make room for their strengths. And quite frankly, if they don't display those strengths, um, but they're a good person, we tend to find a spot for them. You really just want to hire you know, there's, there's two rules we talk a lot about with Edge Factor. Run with runners, work with people you like. And, and if I can find that thing that somebody can run with because they're naturally gifted at it and I really like that person, um, yeah, don't lose them. Put them in a, put them in a, a spot. If you, can, if you can be nimble enough with your company to do that, I think that's how you're going to retain people because they're going to feel fulfilled and thankful that they can come in and do what they love to do every day. And thank goodness we have so many different types of people. I mean, can you imagine, Alicia, if there were more of us, like you and I talk about that all the time, about like CEO level, like we're like, ah, we got to get it done. I need a process for this. But the truth is we're not saying we want a process because we're going to work in the process. We want a process because we want to scale and we want to watch other people who are gifted have the right framework to be excellent within. And so for me, I just am always so thankful that I have lots of different people that work with me. And I think for me, it's about finding people's strengths and trying to play to those strengths so they feel really fulfilled in what they do. That's a really interesting point. Why do we spend so much time searching for the perfect candidate who has all of their boxes checked? Isn't it more important that an employee has the skills that will help the team and the ability to develop? What if the most experienced candidate is actually a nightmare to work with? Here are Jeremy's thoughts. So I'll give you an example of this sort of a weird moment that happened really quite recently. So anybody from my staff who's listening to this, you know how this went down. It was an awkward sort of moment, to be honest. So I was like super excited about this OKR thing. And I was thinking it was like the best thing since sliced bread. And we were like, I, I don't know, I thought we were doing a really good job rolling it out. Although I look back and I realized how I could have done a few things better. But we got into this meeting where they presented something to me and I kind of was like, uh, guys, it's, uh, it's not meeting the mark, at least not for my side. Here's what I'm seeing in this moment. And so I kind of had this reset moment with them and I kind of asked them how they felt about it. And there was this awkward silence. Obviously they didn't feel great about it. And I felt like I was a bull in a China shop. And when I went back to them later in the day and said, guys, can we just clear the air? Cause I felt like I was a bull in a China shop 
I was trying to point something out, trying to be helpful, and it felt like it wasn't. Can we talk about this? And um, the thing this one person said to me, they go, see, the thing is, we, we know that your intentions are good. And so therefore, we're not upset because we know you're for us, not against us. But in that moment, it was a very hard thing to hear. And I think when it comes to working with your people, there's, there's two things. Don't focus on their weaknesses, but you do also just have to be honest with people. So you don't gloss over weaknesses. You're honest about it because if you don't stack your deck properly with your team and you've got too many people with the same weaknesses on a team, then you'll never be excellent in that area. So it doesn't make it okay that somebody's weak in that area if you put them in leadership. It means you have to pair them with somebody who's strong in that area. So, you know, I think honest reflection on our giftings, like I need to be honest with what my weaknesses are as the leader, but I also am honest with my staff. They, they don't go ever go into a review cycle or um, a performance discussion wondering what I'm thinking. They know because I've been honest all the way along. And I think that's another key thing about relationships and hiring. If people can trust that you are for them, but that you're going to be honest with them about weaknesses and that you'll actually try to pair them with other people that will make them better. I think there's a lot to that as well. Vulnerability and honesty is valued in a leader and employees value that because they can relate to that vulnerable and honest business leader. It cultivates a work environment where it's okay to fail and feel vulnerable because having the freedom to make mistakes can spur ingenuity and innovation. But it's a slippery slope. On one hand, the team also needs to be able to have full trust that their leader knows where they're going and what direction they're all headed in. Jeremy discusses how he tackles this problem with Edge Factor. Yeah, I would say, I would say that that's another really valuable outcome of OKRs. Because if you can't articulate your objectives as a leader and the key results that that and work through that with a team at the top, or if it's just you, if you can't work through that, then actually maybe you aren't the leader that is inspiring. Because a leader needs to have their objectives clear. And otherwise you're just scatterbrained. Otherwise, you're just, you're, you're entrepreneurial, but you're not necessarily leadership material. So I think there is an element where, yeah, if you are going to really ask people to buy into your vision and you don't want them to only see the vulnerable side, but you want them to see the leadership side, you have to have an articulate objective. Jeremy has been my friend for a long time, and I know he loves to read, and his tastes expand beyond even business. So before our interview ended, I wanted to hear about his favorite books to recommend for other business executives to read. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, books general or business books, because there's, there's a lot of categories. You've got, you know, historical narratives. I really think history is important, especially at a time where history feels like it's being rewritten a little bit. Don't forget where we came from. Study books. Uh, maybe even if you're, if you're concerned about one perspective, read a book from a different perspective on a historical uh, moment in time. Um, you know, there's, there's of course personal growth books. Um, but I would say if we're talking specifically about um, 
things that have shaped me professionally. Uh, I'm a big fan of the book of Proverbs. There's a lot of really interesting truths in that book. If you know King Solomon, he had incredible wisdom and it, it kind of just, you read it and you go, whoa, that's so profound. So the book of Proverbs, amazing. The book uh, that Dave Ramsey wrote on entree leadership, huge. Um, really, really foundational sort of idea around, well, first of all, it's a narrative of his journey to where he's at from a financial guru perspective. Um, but just listening to him speak about the fact that he wants people with entrepreneurial character traits working for him and how to grow those things. And it was... Um, it was something that taught me also just that you can be very vulnerable and hold yourself and allow your staff to hold you as the leader accountable. So that book was, re I would say, even more profound for me than the O'Care book, um, um, uh, Playing to Win. So talking about strategy for where I'm at in the company, that's a really, uh, it's a helpful thing. Uh, again, learning how to say no to the wrong shiny objects. So you've got to have strategy. It's not just about any opportunity. Um, so I would say that these these are the, so I'm in the middle of that. I, it, time will tell on that one how profound it's going to be, um, but it, it feels like it's it's very timely for where I'm at. That was a recommendation from somebody else uh, that I read. Another thing that that I would say: uh, don't only read business books, but hugely, hugely, like I was, I just finished reading a Bon Bonhoeffer. He was a killed during World War II. That was really interesting. Love reading about uh, other people who have built um, technologies. So thinking about, uh, I'm just I've got on my reading list, the, the, the one on Pixar, but I just came off of reading about uh, Amazon, like, you know, pick some of the greats. It, it is helpful. You, you, it's not that we're trying to be them exactly, but they are helpful books because you sometimes realize, oh, I see what I don't want to be like in Steve Jobs and in, in Jeff, I, you know, unbelievable game changers. That's not going to be my legacy. I don't want to be what they've been. Um, it's okay. So, you know, even coming to grips with that. Right. Um, and, and then also just looking at, I just read about these three young women uh, who uh, went to Auschwitz a month before the war ended. Their husbands uh, were killed and they were pregnant when they went and they survived the war. Like just mind bending stories of real people. And I think honestly, just historical narratives really shape me in many ways, even just the drive to to keep going every day with what I do at the pace that I do it. And and I think part of the the thing that my takeaway from some of these sort of these uh, historical narratives is is um, learning to speak, of course, to your team about objectives is really important. But learning to listen to your stakeholders and your customer and learning to listen to where people are at as they make decisions about your product. So, so listening to customers about their fears and their struggles and their barriers. And I think if, if you can learn to be empathetic as a leader, it will make you a leader that will have a legacy. That's something that certainly I'm striving towards. For more information on Edge Factor, visit edgefactor.com. 
Find more episodes of the Company Growth Podcast on YouTube or at anchor.fm slash company growth podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you've got a company growth story you'd like to share, reach out to Tangible Words. We'd love to hear your story and use it to inspire others to beat their own company growing pains. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Company Growth Podcast.